Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. I grew up in a predominantly Italian Catholic neighborhood. When we went to school in the morning, every other little boy and girl on the street had on their uniform to go to St. Aloysius. And when we got to the end of the street, they made a right, and I went to Clyde S. Jennings, I made a left. It was very clear who was who because of what you wore and which direction you went to school. Now, I also, because children talk to one another, all little Catholic kids had to go to church on Saturday and Sunday. I'm like, why do you have to go on Saturday? Why well, have to go for confession? What's that mean? Because Methodist kids didn't have confession. Well, and they, they would paint this picture. You go into this little room, and the window opens, and you say, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And you have to tell the priest all the things you did wrong this week. Really? Yeah. And then what happens? Well, then he tells you to say some Hail Marys. Well, what's a Hail Mary? So this little Methodist boy hanging out with the Catholic kids learned the Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, Ellen, now in the hour of our need. Well, what do you do? Well, he tells you how many times to say it, and then your sins are gone. I'm like, we want this. at the Wouldn't it be cool if I could go down to my Methodist church and just tell the priest what I did wrong, and it'd be gone? My parents wouldn't know. I would just be sinless. And then I noticed something. On Mondays, those Catholic kids went right back and did all the stuff they did wrong the last week. Now, there was one mom, I'll never, I won't tell her name because she's still alive and still lives on that street. But she would tell her children that anything she didn't want them to do was a sin. That's a sin, she would say. That's a sin. That's a sin. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, they have so many more rules in the Catholic Church about what's right and wrong than we do in the Methodist Church. And I, I have to tell you that growing up, I had a very convoluted picture of what sin was. So the first question we're going to answer today is, what is sin? I want you to know from a biblical perspective what the Bible refers to or what we mean when we talk about sin. I'm sorry to say there are three Greek words. I usually try to limit it to one or two, but there are three. I apologize in advance. The first one you've heard over and over, it's one of Wiki's favorite. Amartion is the word that was translated sin in the King James, and it means to miss the mark. That means you're, you're walking in the right direction, but you didn't quite hit the target. In fact, the word sin... The word that we read in the King James was written back when the main weapon of the military was a bow and arrow. And they would play a game called sinning. And they had a little round circle on a pole. And you would take aim at the little round circle. And if you went through it, you won. And if you missed, you were a sinner because you missed the mark. Amartion, that's the first bread. The second one is called parapetoa. That just sounds weird, doesn't it? Parapetoa, and that's the word for trespass. 
Now, I want you to hear the difference here because an amartian sin means you're doing the best you can and you missed. A trespass is when you know what to do and you cross that line. It's like the, 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 the signs at the Philadelphia Zoo that say, don't step on the grass. Well, as soon as they say don't step on the grass, you know what we all want to do. Step on the grass. Why? Because there's a line, and we, in our sinful human nature, if there's a line, we want to cross it. There is a beautiful eight-foot ebony grand piano in the lobby of the mansion. And it's got a big sign on it. And what does the sign say? Do not touch. And I got to tell you, every time I'm there, I got to sneak over <laughs> and touch the piano. Why? Because you're not supposed to do it. So that speaks to our hearts that we know right from wrong. And yet we as human beings often step over that line on purpose. So the second kind of sin is what we would call a missed step. Um, that's the word that Luke uses when the Lord's Prayer is recorded, and he says, forgive us our trespasses. That's the one I grew up with, and I need you to know that every time we say the Lord's Prayer, I have to stop and remind myself that we're at a Baptist church, and you guys do debts. Now, debts are in Matthew, and that's our last Greek word for today. It's ophilomai, and that means that there's something owed. If somebody has said something to hurt your feelings, there's a debt, there's an emptiness, there's a hole that needs to be filled in. And sometimes, let's be honest, I'm sorry doesn't fill in the hole. It doesn't repair the damage. And in the kingdom of God, what separates us from God are the poor choices we make. And God says there's a debt to be paid. And we need to fill in, forgive us our debts, forgive us our moral indebtedness to each other and to God. Now, I don't know why my Methodist roots are showing so much here, but I got to tell you, we were taught, and John Wesley had this in his theology, that there were two kinds of sin. A sin of commission, those are the ones you do, and a sin of omission, those are the ones you're supposed to do and you don't. Sometimes lying often falls into that. Well, I didn't tell you the whole truth. Like every now and then I have to say something like this to Vicky. Well, uh, donuts accidentally wound up in my car and, and now they're gone. <laughs> and, and to her credit, she's like, don't worry, that happens to me too. But if something's going to land in her car, it's usually Reese's. Right? But sometimes we, we want to withhold the truth. Now, those are the categories of sin, but what really defines what a sin is? And I think we need to go from back to front. In Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what are the two most important commandments? And we know those. We've, we've known them since we were little children. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if those are the two most important commandments, then breaking them would be the two most important sins. Does that make sense? It's sort of a, a, a mathematical equation. If the two most important things we're supposed to do are love God and love our neighbor, and we don't love God and we don't love our neighbor, 
then that would be a sin. So, my son and I, and you know that he's an Episcopal priest, and he also preaches from the lectionary. Have you noticed, this is the third time since December that the baptism of Jesus has come up. This is the third time. And I called him, and I said, are you annoyed? He said, yes. I said, I'm not. He said, why not? I said, because this time... It's not one event, it's three events in a row. And I want you to hear that. We've got the baptism of Jesus. We've got the temptation in the wilderness. We've got Jesus being ministered to by angels and then sharing the good news with the people. It's a journey. It's a three-step process. It's very much, I want you to hear this, what we need to look at and go through as Christians. Now, I'm going to test your biblical acumen here. Wiki is forbidden to answer. But those of you who grew up Baptist better know the answer. John's baptism was a baptism of? Thank you. Lenny gets a gold star. It was a baptism of repentance, which is why when Jesus confronted John in the Jordan, he said, why are you here? You don't need a baptism of repentance. And why didn't he need a baptism of repentance? Because he was sinless. And he said to John, we need to do this. Why? Because the first step in the Christian journey is recognizing that we are unable to be in the presence of God the way we are. We have to confess. We have to confess. Lord, this is who I am. And I'm not entirely proud of who I am, but this is who I am. And then the second part of the process is we need to believe that Jesus died for us. That's why all the hymns, I hope you noticed today, were focused on the cross and the blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. It's a a process. First you confess, like my little friends, going up to the church on Saturday morning, now, the good news is you can confess anytime. My little friends could only confess on Saturday morning. Then you have to believe that God gave you this wonderful gift, and then you need to accept the gift. A friend of mine played uh, linebacker for the Baltimore Colts. He's about six foot four. He served in the Air Force in Vietnam. He is a gruff and rough Southern Baptist preacher. Some of you have met him. And he was a youth pastor for years. And every now and then he'd, he'd take a, a bill out of his wallet and then he'd pick a kid in the room and he'd say, kid, this is your $10 bill. And as he was leading the meeting, holding the $10 bill, he would say, kid, this is your $10 bill. And usually by the end of the meeting, all of the other kids were saying, well, go get it. And then he would ask them, when did the bill belong to the kid? Now, some of us want to say, well, it belonged to the kid as soon as you said, kid, this is your bill. But it didn't. It belonged to him when he accepted it. So the first step of this Christian walk is repentance. Now, I have to tell you, it's funny because right here in my notes, and I'll read it to you because you were here, but the people listening online weren't. It says, I miss being United Methodist. Because there were two parts of the service that really spoke to me. 
One was a corporate confession. If you go to a liturgical Methodist church, you, you have your invocation, your first hymn, and then right written in the bulletin is a corporate confession. As a church, we confess the sins we made that week. And then in the prayer, there's often a time for silent confession. So our designated prayer didn't show up today, and I got to pray and put it in. But it's not usually part of our prayer. But we need to, as a church, return to a confession. We need to, to begin with the repentance. And Jesus demonstrates that with his baptism. Because he took the baptism of repentance to show us what to do. Well, then he is propelled by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And I love the fact that Mark just says, and he was tempted. We don't have the story. We don't have the stones. We don't have the pinnacle of the temple. He just wants you to know that Jesus demonstrated with the baptism of repentance what we need to do. And then he was tempted. Now, if you've ever been tempted just one time in your entire life, go like this. Now, hopefully those people on the internet raise their hand as well. <laughs> I get tempted all the time. Now, what is temptation? I want you to hear this. Temptation is an invitation to sin. It is not sin. Hear that again. Temptation is an invitation to sin. It is not a sin. We are all tempted. That is not going to get you in trouble. It's when you give in to the temptation. So you decide to withhold yourself. Maybe you're going to do Atkins. And you're going to give up all carbs. And then you realize that every commercial on the television is about carbs. Right? Then you say, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to do a different diet. I'm going to do a liquid diet. And then they're all about hamburgers. It's like the world knows what diet you're on and decides to put those commercials on TV. Or you decide to be like the lady whose husband said, you spend far too much on clothing. And she did. She admitted, I have a problem. She said, you need to take my credit card away. And he said, well, no, I, you're a grown-up. I'm not going to treat you like a child, but let's go on a spending fast. We're, we're not going to buy any expensive clothes. And she said, well, how do I do that? And he said, well, you know, when you're looking at it, remind yourself that you made me a promise and then say, get thee behind me, Satan. For about six weeks, she was successful. The credit card bill went down, no new clothes came home, and then one day she came home with a $350 dress. And he said, what happened? And she said, well, I did what you told me, and I walked and I, and I saw the dress, and I saw the price tag, and I thought, well, you know, I can just try it on. And I went in and I tried it on, and it looked good, and I said, I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it. I said, get thee behind me, Satan. And she said, Satan got behind me and said, you know what? This dress looks as good from the back as it does from the front. <laughs> temptation is not a sin. Temptation is an invitation to sin. Now, some people see sin as a reward. I want you to think about that. Some people say, well, you know what? I've worked hard and I deserve a reward 
And then they just decide that their favorite sin is that reward. And they, they do, um, oh shoot, it just went out of my head. It's uh, called rationalization in psychology. They convince themselves why it's okay just this one time to sin. Or sometimes we say things like this, well, who's it going to hurt? So the story's told of a salesman who had a bid on a big project. And they said, go into the office. He'll be right with you. And when he went in, right on the edge of the table was the competitor's bid. And right where the price was, was a can of Coke. And he looked at it and he said, who's it going to hurt? And he reached over and he picked up the can of Coke and out came 50,000 BBs. The guy had set it up to see if he would honor the confidentiality or if he would accept the invitation. Who's it going to hurt? See, the product of temptation are two things, and I want you to hear this, because this is where I'm headed today. The product of temptation can be sin, or it could be righteousness, or what I like to call right living. Now, do you remember those books when you were a kid where you read the story and then it said you could go through this door or climb this hill, and then depending on what you picked, it told you what page to go to? And then you would flip through and get the next part of the story? This is that moment in your Christian walk, and I, I really want you to hear this. If you choose to sin, you are not unchristian. They don't take away your Christianness. They don't take away your place in the family of God, but you have to go back to go. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. You have to go back and start with repentance and begin the journey again. Or, if you pass the test, if you don't give in to temptation, mm -hmm. then your righteousness becomes your witness. And you move on to the third part of the story, which is revelation, sharing the good news with those around you. Hear this. This may be the quote for today. Today's challenges are tomorrow's credentials. So... I want you to hear that the Christian life is a process. It's a formula. Dare I say, it's a sacrament. Because God wants you to be set apart, and the only way he can set you apart is if you begin with repentance. And then you overcome temptation, and you move to revealing the good news of God to the people around you. Loving your neighbor then becomes an important part of your Witness. Now, what does that mean? Well, 1996, I was the chaplain for the MS-150. Now, you've known me long enough to know that I seem to be able to, to get into big crashes. I got hit by the table on my motorcycle. And this time, I was, I was the chaplain for a bike race. And I'm, I'm down, crouched over my aero bars. And this is back when they had rat traps. Anybody familiar with that term? Well, now you have clipless pedals. So when I get on, you hear this pop, pop, and that means my feet are attached to the bicycle. But in the old days, it actually was a piece of metal with leather that went around, and you put it on and you tightened it up so that your feet were attached to the pedal. They were called rat traps. I don't know why they were called rat traps. I'm in my crouch. I'm doing about 20 miles an hour, 
in a peloton. There's about 50 people around me. And I just glanced down and it was like a bad B movie. I saw it undo itself and the leather went right into the chain. Well, as soon as that happened, the pedal jolted, the bike stopped and shot me over the top and I landed on my chest. Let me get this right. I broke my right shoulder and I sprained my left shoulder and I dislocated my right shoulder. So, yes, there was surgery and yes, it took a long time to recover, but for about two months, I looked like this. My kids used to tease me and say, Dad, if you were on your back, could you get up? And I couldn't. Well, it happened in May. You know what else happens in May? Your grass grows. Well, the boys were nine and eight, and Diana was three. So none of my children were able to cut the grass. Their mother is about five foot two and weighed about 104 pounds. She couldn't even get it started. And the grass is growing. And, and I'm thinking, how can I get out there and cut the grass? And one day I looked out and the grass was cut. Who cut the grass? Nobody knew who cut the grass. But the grass was cut. And the grass grew a little bit more. And, and guess what? It got cut again. The lady across the street said, I know that you can't do it. I know that your kids can't do it. And I figured I would do it. And I'll just cut it whenever I cut mine. And for three months, the entire summer, she came and cut my grass. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the leadership in the church know that if I read a good book and I think it would minister to you, what do I do? I buy a copy of the book. Poor Kara got one today. And I don't even notice, but I usually try to leave you a note in the book. Because it, it means more. I, I don't know. Are, are you writing notes to the people around you or, or giving them a gift? Now, I'm not saying you need to buy them a new car or anything like that. But if it's something that you think would minister to their heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or number three on my list here of loving your neighbor is be willing to be inconvenienced. Somebody says, well, my car's at the shop. I need a ride to the end of the street or, you know, a couple months. Would you, would you get, give me a ride? And a lot of people are like, well, you know, I got stuff to do. And we, as the body of Christ, need to be willing to be inconvenienced. Why? Because it reveals your Christian heart. I'm willing to put aside just for a moment what's important to me and do something for you. I wonder if my neighbor was as willing after three months to cut the grass as she was the first day she cut the grass. We are not supposed to lead by example, but rather lead people to Christ with our example. The Christian life is a cycle, not a staircase. We, as Christians, are constantly in need of God's grace. We sin, we need to confess, we need to believe, we need to accept, we need to overcome temptation and then reveal the gospel by our life's actions. Once saved does not mean once perfect. 
I, I, I'm sure you've seen the, the bumper sticker that says, I'm uh, not perfect, I'm forgiven. Now, part of what we need to do is be willing to admit to those that see us where we have fallen into temptation and where we have asked for forgiveness and are willing to extend that to those around us. Back to the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses. I'm sorry. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We need to claim that forgiveness and make an effort to not continue. That's our witness. I made a mistake and I'm going to do everything in my power to not make the same mistake again. Part of our Christian witness is revealing our faults and our efforts to make the Christian walk more accessible. So this morning, I'm asking that you do a self-diagnostic. Are you in need of a time of confession? Do you really believe that Christ died for you and rose again so that you might have a relationship with God? And have you accepted that gift? If that's something that's a mystery to you, our front pews are open and our pastors and our deacons would love to pray with you after the the service. Feel free to come up to use the front pews during the last hymn. If you have a temptation that you cannot overcome, my friend, who I'm having lunch with today, often says this to his children. You know the best way to get out of a hole? Stop digging. If you have a temptation that, over which you are not having victory, then share that with somebody, a godly person, one of our deacons or pastors. Let them pray with you and begin to hold you accountable to overcome that temptation. And when it comes to Revelation, that's our focus for this year. Tell somebody about the good news. Show somebody the good news. Do something unexpected. Do something unearned. Do something uplifting. Amen.